In regards to our vision, we've actually dedicated the next couple of weeks um, to unpack what will be driving us and, and what will be areas of focus for us as we seek to, uh, to bring hope by making disciples. And today we're going to start with the first one of those methods of how we're going to do that in this authentic worship. And so I want to just run through what that value statement is again. Um, so the value statement says, We seek to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel through genuine expressions of authentic worship. Worship is a way of life and cannot be limited by time or place. Our worship is Jesus-centred, full of joy, faith and integrity and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is the fuel for discipleship. It utilises the gifts of me to worship Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. So just before we take a, a, a deeper look at that and unpack that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we ask that you speak to us through your word. Lord, as we look through this value statement of authentic worship, Lord, may your heart shine for us, that heart you have of us to, to bring glory to you and to bring your glory to the world. And one way we can do that is through worship. So may you help this sink in and help this um, yeah, be part of who we are as a church. Uh, we are already this in so many ways, but may we continue to hear from you and uh, from your word this morning, I pray. Amen. So what is worship? Well, we sort of almost defined it a little bit in this statement. And so worship is, first of all, Jesus-centred. That's what worship is. Worship is Jesus-centred. See, our worship as individuals and as a church family is centred around the person and work of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1 verses 12 to 15 says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And is this not your story and my story also? You know, Paul's just gone through explaining uh, in this passage and what he's writing about is writing about you and me. You know, we've been redeemed by God's gospel purposes and for God's gospel purposes. We've been judged faithful and appointed to serve the Lord even though we were once insolent opponents of God. Sometimes we still are. But we received grace and mercy overflowing abundantly in our lives with faith and love in Christ Jesus who came into the world to save sinners of whom we are number one. That is your story. That is my story. We were once opposed to God, but now have been saved by the love of Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ, which has given us an eternal hope. Our worship is Jesus-centered because Jesus is central to our faith. I came across this as I was reading this week. There is nothing simpler than a life 
that has Christ at the center. There is nothing more beautiful than a life that has Jesus as its focus. There is nothing more purposeful than a life that concentrates on Christ. There is nothing more needful than a life that simply rests in Christ Jesus. A life with him as central is a life that's simple, beautiful, purposeful and needful. When Christ is central, all the stresses and strains of life are shared with him. When Christ is central, the beauty of his perfection is reflected in his servant. When Christ is central, all divine resources are ours to use for his praise and glory. When Christ is central, our selfishness will be exchanged for God's purposeful plan. And the more we gaze on his beauty and grace, the more our lives reflect him. The more we concentrate on Christ, the more meaningful our lives become. The more we rest in his love, the more we discover his grace is sufficient. When Christ is central, life becomes simple, beautiful, purposeful and fruitful. See, it's all about Jesus. The hope of the gospel is all about Jesus. Our authentic worship can only be authentic if Christ is at the centre. Worship is also full of joy. One thing that really stands out when you read the Psalms is the concept of shouting for joy in praise of the Lord. One example is Psalm 100. It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I don't know how you can read that with anything other than exuberant joy. You know, like it's a wonderful psalm. Joy is a key element to worship. Now I know that many of us have been brought up in churches where the focus was far more on the solemn reverence of our holy Lord God Jesus. And there wasn't much time given or space given to joyful, exuberant praise of Jesus. Shouting joy was not something that we really heard much of except for when we read this psalm. Shout for joy to the Lord. Like that, that, who, who had that at church growing up? Like, I'm not alone, am I? There's lots of hands that have gone up. See, instead of shouting for joy, we were sort of encouraged to, to more of, uh, you know, silently nod in silent agreement at a statement of fact about the joy of the Lord rather than express it and experience it. See, joy is not boring. Joy is not solemn. Joy is wonderfully expressed in exuberant praise of Jesus. Who's going to give a shout to the Lord, hey? Hey, there we go. Yes. Feel free to shout to the Lord. That's what we're here to do. We bring joy in our praise of Jesus. Because we have great joy in the person and work of Jesus because of the amazing hope that we have from God. Romans 15:13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's joy, hope. They're great concepts that should encourage us to be excited about Jesus. Not just solemn. Jesus says in John 15 that abiding in him is so that his joy may be complete. John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you. Remember the passage in 15? Abide in me, I abide in you. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. When you, when, when you think of reading that, that abide in me passage, you think, oh, yeah, abide in you, yes. Solomon, abide in Jesus, yes. Reverence, you know, you know. But what is the purpose of it that Jesus says? So that our joy might be made full. See, I've often looked at that passage and thought it was all about bearing fruit. And I never really noticed that Jesus actually wrote why he spoke those words. I sort of must have just ended at verse 10 or something whenever I read John chapter 15. It's all, you know, much fruit will be bare, you know, abide in me, the branch, the vine, vine dresser chops off stuff so you can bear more fruit. But he says the purpose of all that is joy. So that our faith in action is, yes, proof of our salvation as we bear fruit, but the reason for that is so that his joy may be in us and our joy may be made full. Complete joy is found in the authentic worship of Jesus. Worship is also full of faith. So what is faith? Well, isn't it great that the Bible tells us? Anyone ever read Hebrews? No, it's not about coffee. Hebrews 11 is an amazing passage about faith. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to start at verses 1. And then we're going to actually just go through chapter 11. Because it is a great, a great passage all about faith. And worship is full of faith. Hebrews 11 verses 1. Cheats, it's on the screen just for the first little bit. Give you extra time to get there yourself. Now faith is, so here's the definition, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So faith is what brings us all together in hope. By faith we understand the world around us. By faith we act out of the hope we have in Christ. And it is by faith that we are able to do great works for the hope of the gospel. In verse 4, by faith Abel offered a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 5, by faith Enoch pleased God and then was not. He was just simply taken into heaven. Verse 6, without faith, It is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's pretty cool, isn't it? If you want to please God, how do you do that? It's only possible through faith. Not works. No, no, no. Not what you do. You can't please God by what you do. You please God by faith. But faith leads to wonderful works. It's a lovely dichotomy there, isn't it? And so we're then given examples of that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, by building the ark, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed God 
Verse 11, by faith Sarah received her, by her faith the power to conceive in her 90s. Heather, no? She's not here today. Oh, there you go. Anyone else in their 90s love, love to give birth? Um, uh, 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 Alma, got there. Alma, no? No takers? Verse 17, by faith Abraham offered his son Isaac. So his, was, his faith was so great, he had full assurance God could raise his son from the dead, which God sort of actually did, figuratively speaking. Verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings. Verse 21, by faith Jacob blessed his sons. Verse 22, by faith Joseph honoured his heritage. Verse 23, by faith Moses was spared. Verse 24, by faith Moses rejected the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 27, by faith Moses left Egypt leading the Exodus. Verse 28, by faith Moses kept the Passover. By ver- verse 29, by faith the nation of Israel crossed the sea. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. Verse 31, by faith Rahab was spared. All these great stories we come across from the Old Testament were all done by faith. Hebrews 11:32. what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, just lump all of them in with one word, you know, the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Uh, Faith? Is this part of our faith too? Hold on. Of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. See, there's two sides of faith, isn't there? There's the mighty things that are able to be done by God. But whenever the gospel is proclaimed, there will be what? Opposition. And so even in the Old Testament, you see that these people who did mighty acts of faith was often accompanied by rejection from the world. And destitution and pain but talk about the power of what can be accomplished by faith we are no different to these people of the bible you know it listed the prophets remember a few weeks ago i talked about elijah who simply made this prayer and it didn't rain for three years then he prayed again and it rained he did that it says here by faith and he was a man just like you and i he was no different to us We too can accomplish great things by faith for the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know what? There might be tough times. One of those those tough things that we're facing at the moment I think is a bit of an assault upon our religious freedom. Uh, I got notification this week that there's a bill before Parliament that is to do with gay conversion therapy and contained within this bill is the potential for there to be a banning of prayer, of reading the Bible on passages that talk about homosexuality being sinful. And so doing that in a church 
could actually break the law. Reading your Bible, praying for someone could be illegal under the Dan Andrews government recommendation that's coming through for this situation. Now, there is submissions available to be sent through to Parliament um, and the, the Commission looking at all this, which actually end tonight, midnight tonight. So if you're concerned about being able to read your Bible, being able to read, read the Scriptures in public like we are here today, if you're concerned about losing that freedom, then I'd encourage you to maybe write something along. Um, the ACL website has some more information if you want to get some, some stuff there. But if that concerns you, like it concerns me, and I've sent something off, then maybe I'd encourage you this afternoon to, to put half an hour aside and, and go and do that. But you know what? God is bigger than our government. I have full faith that they are there because he's allowing them to be there and His plan, God's plans and purposes are far greater than what a state government can impose on us. And maybe this is the, you know, one, one extra step towards a greater awakening of faith amongst the nation of Australia. Maybe this is a chance to spark something that when people's freedoms become restricted, that maybe that's what they think, hold on, let, I've got to stand up, I've got to do something about this. So there we go, faith. Uh, next, worship is also full of integrity. What do you think integrity in worship is all about? Well, the word integrity sort of means to be honest, reliable, have strong moral principles. But how does that connect with authentic worship? Well, it connects in this way. If you're singing praises to God here at church, being the upright model Christian, but then tomorrow we're telling dirty jokes, swearing, denigrating the opposite sex, disrespecting your boss, gossiping, lying or any number of ways to, to express a sinful heart, then that isn't worshipping God with integrity. That's not being an authentic follower of Jesus. We live our lives in worship of something, either in worship of creator God or in worship of his creation. Worshipping with integrity is backing up our worship on a Sunday with our lifestyle, where Sundays are just an expression of the life we, we live always. Yes, we all do sin and, you know, the stuff that we do that displeases God regularly. We understand that. But if someone was to silently observe your life in the ordinary and mundane day-to-day goings-on, would they be able to say that, yes, this person lives their life in worship of Jesus Christ? That is worshipping with integrity. Bring the hope of Jesus with you wherever you are. And worship is also empowered by the Holy Spirit. Someone who is empowered is, is someone with authority. A judge can issue a sentence because their position empowers them to do so. Empowerment is desirable. You know, the dictionary definition of empower is to give power or, or authority to, to authorize. And it can also mean to enable or to permit. And when you're empowered, you're enabled and permitted to do that which you're ministry role, your life lived in faith requires of you. The Holy Spirit's empowering of you happened when you put your faith in Christ. And from that time on, the Spirit has been with you. You were enabled to live a godly and powerful life right then and there, and you've been empowered ever since. 
His empowering has likely blessed you in many awesome, specific and tangible ways. And so our worship of God is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is the natural state of authentic worship. But how? The Bible says the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 10, 11. And I like that about the Holy Spirit. He goes where I cannot. He comprehends things I cannot. He does things I cannot. But when it comes to the things I need to do, he equips me to do them. Worship is also the fuel for discipleship. Now, this statement that worship is the fuel for discipleship might not connect with you at first. It, it seems to be a bit of a strange concept, I guess. But really, when we think about fuel, what is it? Fuel is stored energy. Stored energy that can be released. Like when you put petrol in your car, that energy is released with the existence of controlled explosions that propel your vehicle forward. Wood is stored energy. It produces heat and light when burned. Worship is the fuel for discipleship. It's where we store the energy required for doing the work of a disciple. You see, worship of God brings energy and vitality to our souls and keeps us engaged in the pursuit of discipleship as we worship who God is and what he has done. God's worth fuels our discipleship. So when we gather in this place, we are coming in here and we are declaring the greatness, the beauty, the majesty of our God. We are saying, God, you are better than everything in life. We're being reminded of the power in the name of Jesus to capture the hardest heart, to break every chain imaginable. Authentic worship which celebrates the hope of the gospel is both recharging and a response to the glory of God in our lives. And when we come together and, and sing in worship of God, we have the most beautiful things to sing about. We have the most things to, to boast about, the most things to brag about in Jesus, in his glory, in his infinite worth. We're not just singing karaoke songs. We're declaring the greatness of our God, the splendor of our God, the holiness of our God. We're saying to the nations, your love, God, is better than life. That's gospel-centered, authentic worship. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God. And worship is a way of life. It's not constrained to an hour on a Sunday. It's our very life. We live in worship of something at every moment, either in worship of Creator or His creation. And I think we got the picture last week pretty clear that everything we do, we do it for the glory of God. So whether we're eating, sleeping, driving, drinking, walking, working, playing, singing, breathing, learning, laughing, talking, listening, sitting, standing, gardening, reading, running, cleaning, building, painting, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Worship is a way of life. And it's not limited by time or place. You don't have to wait until you come to church to worship Jesus. He's in you. He's always with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
And he's worthy to be praised wherever and whenever we can. Now there's a trap that we can sometimes fall into by compartmentalizing our lives. You know, this bit is my family, this bit's my work, this bit's for my education, this bit's for my recreation, um, you know, th- this bit's for my church, this bit's for my hobbies. But, but, but if we do that, then we, there can end up being little bits of us all over the place where we leave little bits of ourselves here and leave little bits there depending on what you're doing. But God is worthy of our worship in all things. And when we compartmentalise our lives, this little bit's for here, this little bit's for there, it's almost like this version of me is for here, this version of me is for here, this version of, of me is for here. And depending on the people we're with, the circumstance we find ourselves, there's a different version of us in all these different compartments. But we are one body, one person, one soul, one spirit, one mind. We are who we are wherever we go. And so we shouldn't be compartmentalising our lives. We should be worshipping God as a true worshipper in authenticity wherever we go and be who we are, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. That's why our worship is not limited to time or place. It's not constrained by our location or our vocation. Every moment is a moment that we can spend in worship of God. And our worship utilises the gifts of many to worship Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus was passing through Samaria and he came to the town of Sychar, 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 you choose. And he went to a well, most likely as he was probably thirsty. You know, as it was the middle of the day under the hot sun and a Samaritan woman walks over whom Jesus asks for a drink, which was apparently quite a scandalous thing to do. You know, very interesting conversation then ensues. Jesus reveals his true identity to the woman with a statement that he is living water who quenches spiritual thirst eternally. The woman responds to the invitation and Jesus reveals intimate knowledge about her sinful circumstances. And in verse 23 we read these words, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See, Jesus did not rebuke the woman's circumstances. He instead introduces her to the truth about himself. He offers her a place to belong in the family of God as a true worshipper in spirit and in truth. She responds in faith and many people in her village are saved upon her testimony about Messiah, about Jesus. Who would have thought that God could use such a messenger of hope? You see, she was a Samaritan. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans as being less than. And she was out drawing water in the heat of the day, which indicates that she was looked down upon even by her fellow Samaritans. She would be someone whom we would consider today to have loose morals, someone who we could too easily also look down upon. But Jesus gave her a place to belong. He invited her to respond in faith and in the hope of salvation. And her response was to use the gifts she had 
to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so she went into her village and she shared about the hope she found in Jesus and many people that day believed because of her testimony. God uses everyone. Even when we feel like we are looked down upon, God still uses us. Our worship utilises the gifts of many to worship Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. This is how we bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel to the northeast by making disciples through authentic worship. So my encouragement today to you is this. Worship God in spirit and in truth in all circumstances and at all times. Live a life in worship of created God for his glory. And while you're doing that, your life will reach into the hearts and minds of those around you with the hope of the gospel that you have in Jesus Christ. And who knows who will come into contact with you and who might be saved by an encounter with Jesus Christ. So let's continue to be a church with open arms to all, regardless of circumstance, inviting everyone to bring glory to God and the hope of the, north, of, of the gospel to the northeast. Because there's a place for everyone here. Everyone can belong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you saying worship of who you are. And Lord, we worship you in spirit and in truth. Because Lord Jesus, you have set us free. And Lord, today we've looked at what worship is. Worship is Jesus-centered. You are the center to all of our worship, Lord. Without you... Worship is futile because you alone are worthy. Lord, our, our worship is full of joy, faith and integrity. It's empowered by the Spirit. It is the fuel for discipleship. And Lord, it indeed utilizes the gifts of many to worship you in spirit and in truth. So Lord, I pray that your Spirit would indeed empower our worship of you and that wherever we go, we would take the hope of the gospel with us as we live our life in worship of you because worship is a way of life and may our worship of you dominate our life and the way we live that in all circumstances as carriers of the hope of the gospel with us you would use us to reach the lives of others for your glory for the samaritan women in the northeast here lord may they may their thirst be quenched by your living water and lord may you use us to do that because there is a place for everyone to belong here in your family help be an encouragement for us to live that pray in the name of the lord jesus amen